Welcome back to Head, Heart, and Chart. I am Reggie Ross. Today's guest has inspired so many important conversations in my life without even knowing it. And I struggle to think that there is a world somewhere where we never connected. Abby Smith and I met 14 years ago when I was working a retail job and she was a customer there. And I didn't know much about her other than her fashion sense and that she seemed really confident and cool and someone I would want to keep in my life. So when I was moving out of state, we exchanged information to connect on social media. And when I looked her up and saw that she was Christian, I became incredibly nervous that I was potentially putting myself in a position to be rejected as a potential friend. And a lot of those fears came from my own personal experience with the church. You're going to listen to this episode and laugh because that could not possibly be further from the truth of anyone's experience with Abby. But I am so glad that we connected and that we've stayed in touch for this long because I really do think that my life is better because I know Abby and I'm so excited uh, for you to meet her as well. So if you're ready to learn and grow a little or a lot, let's do this. My name is Abby Smith. I am the lead pastor of a church in Northern Kentucky called Church in the Wild. We're a progressive faith community specifically geared towards people within the LGBTQIA plus community who want to experience faith in a way that is holistic for them without denying any part of their identity or denying any part of who they see themselves as or who they present to the world. Just uh, trying to aim for some inclusive, affirming faith spaces for people who have traditionally been pushed out of churches. I'm curious about what makes you a progressive pastor? What makes your church a progressive church? So the thing about us that makes us progressive, progressive is not a word, you know, oh God, the language of Christianity really sucks. Can I swear here? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay, good. It's really shitty. The language of Christianity is really shitty. And one of the ways that it's shitty is that labels get thrown around that I, I don't, I use progressive because it's shorthand for people who need the shorthand. Um, But I don't self-identify that way because to me, it's not progressive Christianity. It's actually the original version of Christianity. It's, it's very old. (laughs) Uh, But the thing that, that makes other people consider us a a so-called progressive church is um, (laughs) that we, we have these radical notions about uh, the importance of, r- of racial justice and um, affirming not just the value of the lives of uh, black and indigenous people and people of color, but also <laughs> acknowledging and lamenting the ways in which we have contributed to and benefit from white supremacy and uh, racial injustice that exists within our systemic systems in America. Um, this newfangled idea of equality. (laughs) The idea that we not just allow quote unquote gay people to come be part of our church, but our church is run by gay people. Um, Our worship pastor is a gay man. I'm I'm a queer woman. Um, Our church is predominantly filled with people from the LGBTQIA community 
and we don't tell them they have to not be gay to be part of our church. Uh, we don't find there to be anything sinful. We don't find the Bible to talk about homosexuality in a way that we could use it to tell people that it was sinful. Um, so those are, you know, we don't, we don't tell women what to do with their bodies. We believe in science. We believe that there is a way to have compatibility between God and science that doesn't just go, well, God made science. <laughs> yeah. So it's fine. So, uh, I like to tell people we're not assholes. That's, <laughs> that's the biggest thing. We're not assholes. <laughs> so that those are kind of the things that make us considered progressive and progressive, a progressive church. And the reason why is because when I read the scripture and when I study it contextually, those are the answers that I get. I, you know, it's not like I'm just out here cutting people or cutting pages off to make it fit for me, which is what sometimes more conservative minded Christians think. Um, this is what I interpret when I read the scripture. I interpret a God who says he won't listen. Sorry, I'm trying really hard to use they, them for God. But I've been in the church for 36 years, so it still slips out once in a while. Um, I interpret a God who says they won't even listen to a worship service if, if you're not dedicated to justice for the oppressed and mercy for uh, the brokenhearted. It says it. <laughs> so it's very easy to to live uh, in this vein and, and believe the way I do because I believe that it's biblically backed. So I think that's really beautiful. The reason that I invited you here was because, you know, head, heart and chart, want to talk about mental health relationships and, you know, the more mystical parts of life. Um in that mental health space, I think that the church can sometimes play a significant role when it is a significant part of your life in how you interpret your own mental health, how you seek out treatment or care for your own mental health. And I think in my mind, I have this idea of Again, I'm using the word progressive in my mind as like the progressive church and the traditional church. Yes. And not to say that that's necessarily accurate, but how would you describe the traditional church or the old church's approach to the topic of mental health? <laughs> bad. <laughs> it is a bad approach and yeah. should not be adopted by anyone. Now, I know that there are churches, so like when I say church, I use what, what in church jargon we would call the big C church, meaning like the broad universal church. And when you do that, you paint with a really big brush, but it is, it is a majority. So right, there are traditional minded churches who might have a better handle on mental health resources and mental health work. Um, but overwhelmingly, <laughs> the majority of more traditionally minded conservative churches, and when I say conservative, again, I just mean like conservative in their theological standpoint, they're going to come from a place that is, oh, <clears throat> not great, not great. Um, in particular, 
it can run the gamut. That's the thing. It can be not great in so many ways. So one of the big issues I think people face within those church systems is that uh, mental health struggles are met with a suggestion of like more prayer or seeking God in a more significant way, which is incredibly damaging and difficult to to hear as someone struggling. Um, or there are churches, you know, uh, who who funnel people through to a very specific kind of counseling and and depending on where your struggles are um, that specific brand of counseling might be different but um, the people that they would funnel you through to are all people who are also holding a theological line that's in line with your church so right like ultimately if you were in counseling with a counselor from your church and you were talking about suicide that counselor might tell you well you'll go to hell forever if you do that you know, um, so there are, there's like a lot of ways that it's bad, <laughs> but the, the traditionally the church has had a really bad, uh, not just tactic for dealing with mental health, but view of, of mental health struggles as though it's almost like not real at best or at worst demonic. You have a demon, you have the demon of depression in you. <laughs> mm, I yeah. laugh because it's, but it's so ludicrous to me, but actually very much not funny it's ridiculous yeah I think for me as a teenager in the church I was always told like oh you've just strayed like you've strayed if you were close to God you wouldn't feel this way and I remember thinking like I don't know if someone has control over me like that and and if they do I don't know uh if I appreciate that (laughs) or like um you uh, is there any unrepented of sin in your life that could be you know this this is a symptom of unrepented of sin sin it's actually kind of a symptom of a chemical imbalance in my brain that i was born with but thank you (laughs) But, but you know as a teenager you don't have the language for things like that all the time and you trust people you trust the people in your life and you think that they're giving you and they probably are giving you their best efforts and that's the thing it sucks because it's from a top-down thing you're being taught by people who were taught this and those people are teaching it because they were taught this and those people taught it because they you know it's so it's just this never-ending cycle of this is what has been taught so this is what I will teach and so it just perpetuates a really harmful damaging uh, view of mental health and mental health advocacy yeah think until somebody steps in and starts to question and get curious about wait a second why are we teaching this I think it's the same with parenting you you see that where like this is how I was parented so this is how I was parent and then that one person that one it just takes one generation of people to go that wasn't okay and I'm not doing that right and in 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 scripture there's a verse that talks about generational sin and the sin of the fathers being visited upon the sons and people have debated about what this verse means for, for so long. But a lot of people within um, the inherited church, which is like mainline denominations like Lutheran, Episcopalian, things like that. Um, and then a lot of progressive Christians talk about this verse from that, that exact context of generational abuse or generational uh, cycles of abuse where you learn by virtue of your upbringing how then to behave as an adult and then that impacts the next generation it's absolutely true within the church 
that how people are quote unquote brought up within the church that impacts how the next generation of church leaders continue to bring people up and so if you you know are brought up in the church under some kind of toxic theology that's what you're going to share with the world as as the truth yeah um i stopped identifying as a christian in my early 20s and really just got deep into digging into other religions, other thoughts of belief, or other like schools of belief and essentially like taking what worked for me and leaving what didn't and forming sort of my own spiritual practice and belief and ritual and and all of those things. And part of that has also included even like I like I listen to Church in the Wild pretty frequently <laughs> on Spotify. Um, because the message feels, the message doesn't, yes, the message is one from a Christian standpoint for sure, but it feels like the message is also from a really strong place of, of love, which is in my mind, what I always like, I was like, well, that's what the church needs to do and isn't doing. Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah. So... I guess I kind of want to go into what was that, like, what was the the specific motivation or intention, I would say? What was the intention of starting your own church? Mm. Um, <laughs> so I'm actually a church planter's kid. So I'm a pastor's kid, but I'm a specific brand of pastor's kid, which is a church planter's kid. And it sucks. It sucks a lot. And I grew up being like, I will never do this. This will never, I will never do this. This is awful. I will never do this. Cause it's basically like a Christian version of the Brady Bunch. Like I grew up stringing wires and cords for sound systems. And my mom sang and my dad taught. And it was just very like the Brady Bunch variety hour kind of deal. And it's also uh, not emotionally easy. There's a lot to it. And we in particular ended up starting a church right before the pandemic. So that was a whole other, it's just been crazy. Um, So all that to say, it's not the kind of thing that I entered into lightly at all. And I, I struggled for a long time. I've been in church and identified as a Christian for pretty much my whole life. But I have always struggled with, in particular, how the church handles people who are struggling. Um, I went through some really hard things that really shifted not just my theological belief system, but my ideological belief system around everything. And I, I, in that, I just didn't, I didn't like church. (laughs) In particular, at Christmas time, I just, I felt so angry going to church because everything was like joyful, joyful, you know, all the, the twinkle lights and the, and I had already been on this road of feeling very frustrated with the modern American church anyway. Like, I don't give a shit about your fog machine. Like, why are we... What's with the moving, like one of those moving lights could pay to fund a, uh, a food pantry for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 
I think it's bullshit and I, I think that God hates it. And so that was already like in my heart. And then at Christmas when it just becomes 10 times worse and the production of things amps up by a thousand and you're just, and I feel miserable. I'm experiencing, you know, uh, such a significant shift in how I'm living my life and in, and in the way that I'm relating to people in my family and in, in the way that I'm navigating some of the hardest struggles of my life. I don't want to rejoice. I don't want to wish Jesus happy birthday. I'm mad and I'm angry. And now I'm mad and angry that I have to pretend I'm not mad and angry because I'm at church. And it just seemed so backwards to me because shouldn't this place where we say God resides, shouldn't this place be the place I want to be when I'm feeling those ways? And I was in a, um, like a conference listening to a pastor teach and I got really excited at first because they were teaching about like, like in the wilderness, which is a very churchy phrase of uh, a way of saying like in a hard time of life. And I had just had, so, you know, in therapy, when you have one of those therapy moments where it's like, this is great news. It's also horrible news. Oh yeah. Someday it's going to be great news. You know, my therapist had just kind of helped me understand that I was waiting for the end to my situation, but that there probably wasn't going to be an end, that this was probably going to be what it was forever. And I needed to figure out how to engage that. This is a very long story, um, which is so antithetical to what the church teaches. Like you just got to pray your way through it. You just got to wait. Like Sunday's coming. Like that's, you know, we act, we, we like our happy endings and our nice tied up bows. And I'm listening to this pastor talk and he's talking about this very thing saying all too often people talk from the other side of the wilderness and nobody talks from in the wilderness. And I was so amped up like, yes, exactly. This is exactly what I'm saying. This is exactly what I need. And he is sharing a story from his life that paralleled what I was experiencing so very deeply that I was just like, okay, this is great. And then he gets to the end and he's on the other fucking side. He gets to the end and he's like, and here's how my situation actually is resolved today. And I was like, you motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) How? And I remember sitting in this auditorium, just furious, screaming at God in my head, like, you did this. This was a dirty, rotten, down low trick. Like, why doesn't anyone ever talk about it for real? I don't understand why no one would because so many people need it. And I'm tired of being made like I'm just ranting in my head. And as audibly as I've ever heard the voice of God, I heard, then you do it. And I went, no, that's not. That's not. You've misunderstood. (laughs) That's not what what we're talking about. Um, and from there, this sort of seed began to just root and flower into things. And we had things happen along the way. Um, we did an event called Beer and Hymns where we, we had the opportunity to host it at a local drag bar. And they had a performance that night. And two of the performers came out during our portion of the evening and just stood in the back, half done up. <laughs> I felt so bad because they had ha- they had their makeup on, but... 
uh, they just sat there weeping because they had both been kicked out of their churches and they had grown up together and met at church camp and one of them said to me I never thought I'd be allowed to hear these songs again and I just thought this is dumb this is dumb that there are so many people who feel like they're not allowed to be authentic before God that's the exact opposite of what God tells us and does for us why is the church gatekeeping God (laughs) that's so (laughs) weird and so from there it just uh you know about a year later we said okay well let's let's do it then let's if we're a hospital church let's be a hospital church if we're just a place for people to come so that they can repair what what the big c church has broken in them (laughs) then let's do that uh, and that's how that's how Church in the Wild started. <laughs> yeah. It is uh, there's a Kanye West Jay Z song, and there's a one line in it that says "There's no church in the wild." And a friend of mine had sent it to me, and I said, "See, that's exactly my point. There's no church in the wilderness, and there should be." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we don't talk about the messy middle, right? <laughs> we suffered and now we're better and right whatever happened in between we don't need to talk about we and i i just now am realizing how deeply i mean how deeply entrenched that belief is in me even to the point where when i struggle personally or go through seasons where depression is a little higher amped up or my my anxiety has taken the front seat I don't, I don't talk about it until I'm on the other side of it, even with like my spouse or, or my, my closest friends. And I, it's taken me until just this past couple months to realize that that is still something I do. Like, don't talk. That's my whole shtick is like, let's talk about the messy. And even I'm like, "Mm, let's talk about it afterwards (laughs) when I have the answers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When it's when it's a clear, cohesive statement, then I can do it. But when I'm just babbling and sobbing and snot is running down my lips, like that's when like, no, we'll just edit that out. Right. I don't need you to see me figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oof. That resonates. Um, so you've got this church now. How is your approach to mental health with your congregation than appropriate yeah. word yeah different from the old church so i'll speak just anecdotally from experience um one of my people ask for counseling from a pastor all the time um and I don't know that most of them know this, but in particular within evangelical churches, a, a, any given pastor has maybe one single semester of what's called pastoral counseling, which is the class where they teach you how to be a counseling pastor. My pastoral counseling class was taught by a man who believed that depression was the uh, 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 effect of not having a substantial prayer life (laughs) so that gives you an idea of like where a lot of pastors fall in their counseling education I my very first question when someone comes to me and asks for um, pastoral counseling is are you in therapy (laughs) and if not how can we get you in therapy 
because spiritual health care is not a substitute for mental health care. They are two different things. And while they may intersect at times, they are not the same thing. And I can, as a, as a pastor, it is totally within my realm to give you spiritual input and, and pray with you and sit with you and, um, offer spiritual care, but mental health care is not, it's not the same thing as spiritual health care. And so, um, my first question is always, are you in therapy? And if not, how can we get you in therapy? What do we need to do to find that resource for you? So that's one way I think that I'm, I'm, or I should say that progressive pastoral, uh, clergy members are different than, than some more of the conservative minded ones. Um, the other thing is I, I believe in a thing called spiritual direction, which is, again, not something that I'm even qualified to do as a pastor. A spiritual director is someone who has gone through a, a significant amount of schooling and a significant amount of training, and they deal exclusively with your spiritual wrestlings. They Again, they also don't do mental health care. They exclusively do spiritual wrestling and they can, you can find a spiritual director, um, in several different denominations, but they don't hold the person they're spiritually directing to a denominational standard. So the spiritual director that I saw was a Jesuit priest and he understood that I'm an evangelical and like that, you know, we, we hold very different theology in certain places, but in the conversations that we had, it was never like, and granted, I only, I only spoke with him, uh, once or twice, but, uh, twice, but it was very much, um, a spiritual director very much helps you navigate your own faith journey. Um, and I think that in particular, that is such a helpful thing when it comes to mental health, especially and specifically if you've grown up in the church, because any deviation from the faith that we are handed as kids or teenagers, or even as adults, if you enter the church as an adult, any deviation from that faith can impact your mental health because there's so much shame and guilt wrapped up in deviating your belief system. And it's really hard if you are someone who also struggles with mental health to then suddenly be like, I don't know if I believe in hell because you've been trained your whole life to believe that this is a life or death choice that you are making. And with someone who like for myself struggling with my mental health, um, or, or have being someone who has depression or anxiety issues, that kind of shift in my belief absolutely spikes my mental health stuff because I have grown up carrying the shame of, and maybe shame isn't the right word, but it's such a fear-based belief that as soon as I was like, maybe I don't believe this, all of my anxiety was like, well, now we're, well, now we're going to hell and we're probably taking the kids with us. So like, let's just panic about that in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah. So having a spiritual director and someone who can help me navigate those belief systems in a way that helps partner with my mental health professional person um, is really beneficial. So I also recommend that for a lot of people. Um, I stay in my lane is I think the best way to put it. I, I am not a mental health professional and I'm okay with that. I don't need, I don't need to be a mental health professional to help someone find a mental health professional. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Um, as a coach, I hold the same, <laughs> the same belief system that like coaching is really great and it's really helpful. And as a coach, I'm going to focus on your goals for the future. And you also need a therapist to be helping you work through right. your past. We are not the same. I love right. exactly what you said. We're like, I stay in my lane. I know what I can and can't do. Um, and I think that also comes down to just like practicing whatever it is that you're doing in an ethical manner. Yes. And in a way that discloses it, because I, I, it really bothers me when pastors don't disclose, hey, I'm actually not a qualified mental health professional. It doesn't, it doesn't devalue what you do. Like I don't, as a pastor, I don't feel devalued or like my, what I have to bring to the table is less because I'm not also a mental health professional. It, they're not the same. It's okay. And so I don't lose any of my validation by saying it. And I think, unfortunately, there are, I don't know that that's the case for many pastors. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of having this mind blown moment of being 34 and just finding out that spiritual director is a thing. <laughs> How would, is, is that something that you're only going to find in some church settings? How would someone go about finding a spiritual director? So, I mean, Google, yeah. <laughs> it, I, I, uh, so the, um, I found out about it because again, it, so there's, so there's, when we talk about churches, um, we kind of lump them all in, but they're not all the same. Um, and the more, what I, what most people think of when they think of church is either, um, very Catholic or very like hippy dippy and what the actual terms for those things are is the inherited church uh or or mainline uh church and then and then the non-denominational church which is where i grew up in a non-denominational church it just means that we don't have an overarching church governance um and that churches are autonomous the like hill songs and bethels of the world the big name churches that we know of they're all non-denominational churches um, and we call them evangelical, but a lot of denominations are actually also evangelical. Anyway, most spiritual directors exist within like the inherited church, the mainline denominations of like um, Episcopalian, for instance. Uh, the spiritual director I spoke with was a Catholic uh, priest um, in, I know where he is. I don't remember, <laughs> but he's, he's somewhere in the Chicagoland area. Uh, they have a Jesuit retreat house in the Chicagoland area, and it's just the most beautiful Bellarmine, Bellarmine Jesuit uh, retreat house in, dang it, I'm so close. I haven't lived in Chicago in so long that I can't remember. Anyway, Barrington, oh, that was going to bother me. Anyway, so you'll find spiritual directors more within the inherited church um, and mainline, and it takes, like, it's not, um, you know, I think people think things like that you can just throw it on your <laughs> your list of titles like here are all the things I do but to be a spiritual director it takes there are requirements and there are requirements within denominations and things that you have to learn and study and go through before you can claim that title or accept clients and, and contacts as, as, as spiritual direct people in that way because again it is it's a it's a 
It's something that has to be done with compassion and gentleness and with a knowledge of not just scripture, but of how people operate and what is, you know, a therapist, you can be naturally gifted at counseling and not be a good counselor because you have not experienced the education of learning healthy boundaries and learning how to help someone navigate their own mind instead of just telling them what they should think. And so spiritual direction is the same. I say all that because I think that I've had experiences with people where they're like, that sounds very weird. And I'm like, it's actually not. It's just another word for someone who helps you navigate life in a very specific vertical. Yeah. Would you be open to sharing some of the things that you learned from working with a spiritual director? Well, so I spoke with him twice. He was a little above my pay grade. Um, (laughs) But when I saw him, the thing that I took away from him the most was um, I really struggled with, you know, the, the, anytime you shift a belief within Christianity, it tends to feel like you get, you get called a cherry picker (laughs) and I've always really struggled with that. And I, there's this old saying, some people get saved because they see the gates of heaven and some people get saved because they feel the flames of hell. And it's this idea that, that, that aligning yourself with the gospel is still transactional in some way that I'm either doing it to get into heaven or I'm doing it because I'm afraid of hell. And I came to a place where I realized I hold, I espouse a lot of beliefs because I'm afraid of hell. (laughs) I'm a good evangelical Christian girl. I'm terrified of hell and I don't want to go to hell because who, if hell is real, who would want that? And, um, one of the things that we primarily talked about was this idea that um, stepping out in freedom is something that is so uh, valued by the church. The, The Big C Church talks a lot about freedom while simultaneously uh, putting people in a lot of chains. And it's this weird dichotomy that, that then holds us captive to things that we don't believe for a long, 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 long time as a, a, a person who always knew that I wasn't straight. I, I can admit the privilege of being someone who like being pansexual men were an option. So it wasn't like I wasn't living into my sexual orientation by dating and being with men. Um, I was, I just was also like cutting that short in a lot of ways. And I would go through seasons with it where if I wasn't feeling particularly churchy, I would be with women, but it, or with, with, uh, anyone on that spectrum. But I found myself as I got older falling into this place of, well, I don't know why the Bible says this, but this is what the Bible says about being gay. And so like, that just is what it is. And that sucks. And I, I'm sad about it, but like, I have to be biblical, but I didn't believe it. I said it because I was afraid of hell. I was afraid of going to hell. I was afraid of people believing what I said and them going to hell. And the thing that I think that, um, father Michael taught me the most was that 
bondage to fear is still bondage, even if that fear stems from the church. You don't, you don't bind yourself up to a belief of the church as a means of saving yourself. It's not the life vest that we think that it is. And that true freedom means true freedom. And if that means your belief system differs from the structure in which you were raised or even the structure in which you exist now, that's okay because you're still walking in freedom. And anyone that would tell you that that's not okay is someone who is trying to keep you in chains. And that was really, that, that was a huge shift for me. Yeah, that's really powerful. Just on its yeah. own. I was like, that's a sound yeah. bite right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it, 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 you know, I, again, with therapy, like you're, a therapist will say something and it's like, I, I like knew that. And I don't know why I needed someone else to to say it, to give myself permission to live that way or believe that way. But like, I, I knew that. I'm mad I just paid you to tell me a thing that I already knew and was just holding myself back from. Yeah. But that's a lot how I feel about spiritual direction. Yeah. I feel like therapy has taught me that it turns out a lot of the things that that I deal with really come from a place of like, I just didn't trust myself. Mm-hmm. Like I did believe those things. I did know those things. I can't, I can't say I believed. I did know these things where I had heard <laughs> them or I had read them, but I didn't trust that if they were a belief within me that like I was trustworthy, like right. I couldn't trust my own thoughts. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's, it's so hard because I think in, in my life that is a response because I struggled with that exact thing as well. And in part, at 36 and after many years of therapy and, and the deconstruction of literally everything, <laughs> I can say that a big part of that is because, A, that was a trauma response for me that was like having been gaslit and and taught and told some like having my reality shaped for me. And then when my observations were brought up, having those observations denied, that does such a mind fuck number on you to like make you question, can I even believe what I think? But that is actually also underscored for me by the church's teachings of, you know, the heart is deceitful above all things. And this idea that you can't trust yourself because you are inherently bad and and awful and scummy and like anything good about you is only there by virtue of you believing in Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Otherwise you're just you're just like this rotten filth like scum of the earth kind of thing. And that that ideology really is a huge, you know, I've learned so much about like the bite model of indoctrination um, and and the idea of how how institutions keep people cycling through their their institution. And one of them is to make them think they can't trust themselves. You can't trust you. Only you can only trust what I tell you and undoing that both on a personal trauma response level and then on a systemic level within what I've been taught from the church was maybe the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because that runs so so deep 
it's such a um, deeply anchored thing within anyone who who holds that kind of self-doubt. Yeah, that's a tougher one to get free from, for sure. Having been raised by people who I think were, who I know were more um, involved and anchored in the church than I maybe ever was. I can see the places and the patterns where that shows up for them. And now I'm able to look at it from an outsider's perspective and see like, yes, it makes perfect sense that you would behave that way based on the way that you were raised and the beliefs that were handed down to you. And again, we get it. We get a chance and an opportunity to break that cycle. So, right. It's a lovely time, right? <laughs> Getting to do all the work. It's such a, um, I, I, I was telling somebody yesterday, I think like, I, I recently, <laughs> I recently learned that this just keeps going. I thought for sure at some point I'd get like the diploma that was like self work accomplished. Good job. Go live your life. And now it, uh, it turns out that doesn't happen. <laughs> you yeah. just have to keep working on yourself forever. <laughs> cool. I just, I just do this. I, 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 do, I do it forever. Oh, okay. Yep. Didn't realize I that's mean, what that I was signing like up for. Driving a car that you also have to work on while it's moving. Okay. Noted. Good. <laughs> I love that. Oh, well, do you have any final thoughts for anybody who might be, I mean, I don't know, struggling in any way? Um, whether that's spiritually or mentally, um, any, any final thoughts there? You know, I, I love to, my, probably if anyone were to say, what's Abby's catchphrase? My catchphrase would probably be feel your feels. Um, I think that the, the church does a really, I think it does a big disservice for people when it denies us the opportunity to feel our feelings whatever those feelings are, you know, I love, um, I love ruining the book of Psalms for people in the Bible because, uh, it's so fun and I'm mean. Now people, people create a lot of like formative theology in the Psalms and that's not what it is. The Psalms are diary entries, really, really emo diary entries, but they do teach us that there is no feeling or struggle too big to bring before God and to have that those struggles and feelings are met with compassion, not like a push to get over it. Not like a, Hey, you know, deal with this, stop being a baby and just trust me. Like God meets our struggles with compassion. God built within us, um, the process by which we deal with our emotions and feel things. The very fact that we, um, have emotions is because of how we were designed. Why would why would the person who or the being that designed that process ever be upset with us for engaging that process? So if you're struggling, if you're having hard feelings, if you're in a hard place, it's not only okay, that is actually you engaging something sacred. And the best way to find yourself on the other side of that is to move through it. And, and we move through that with blessing because that moving through it is something that we were built to do. It's not unfaithful. It doesn't make you having struggles, doesn't make you an unfaithful person or a bad Christian, if that's how you identify. Um, 
having struggles makes you a human. (laughs) And in my belief structure, God built humans. And so your struggles are something that they foresaw and built within you um, the resources to navigate it. And if you, for whatever reason, don't have access to your internal resources, we have such incredible outer resources to help us build up our inner resources. And that is also God honoring. So, yeah. I love that. Well, thank you so much for taking this time today. I really appreciate it. Uh, I love getting to listen to you chat, uh, like getting to listen to your sermons and things like that, but getting to actually kind of be live one-on-one for one is really fantastic. I really appreciate you. Yeah. Taking this time to chat with us. I appreciate you. And I really love what you're doing this podcast. I'm so excited. I think that you you have so many good things to offer and such good insight on things. So I'm loving, I'm loving it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell people where they can find you? Yes. Uh, yes. I know those answers as well. Uh, <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> you can find um, our, our back sermons. Our messages are recorded and posted as podcasts on um, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Audio Mac. Um, you can and you can find those at Church in the Wild Covington, um, and then you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Church in the Wild Covington, um, and our website is wildcovington.com. So that's where we are. Do you want to share where to find Abby? Uh, you can find me. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> You can find me on TikTok uh, or Instagram at that Abby Smith, all one word. I'm a little, I'm a little feisty on TikTok these days. So it's truly a highlight of my day. Like shows up on my for you page now almost every time I open the app. And I was like, thank you algorithm for like truly knowing what I needed today. Man, it's been, it's, it's a, it's a trip. TikTok is a trip. <laughs> I could talk to Abby Smith for hours about literally anything. Um, but something that kept coming up for me during this episode was something that William Powers said in our second episode about people who lead with love and kindness and how they were such an important part of his upbringing and maybe it's the fact that he is from Kentucky and Abby and Church in the Wild are also in Kentucky but I kept thinking that Abby is kind of like this next generation of that love and kindness in a very direct and specific way for people who really need it and deserve it so I think we can all be that for someone You can catch us in a couple weeks with a new episode. And until then, feel free to stop by and say hi on Instagram. We are head, heart, and chart. But until next time, stay kind and curious.